Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. I'm Mark Momothai, and uh, I do believe God has put a word on my heart for you today. When, uh, when Pastor called and said he was gone, I, I responded, so there's nobody else. And uh, he told me I was the first call, but we have such talented uh, staff and speakers here. But I, I just want to know I don't take this lightly, and I believe God has a word for you today. And um, let's begin with prayer. Generally, Father, we just thank you for this church you bless us with, for the tremendous talent and most importantly, just loving us where we are, Father. I pray you challenge us the next few moments. You give me the words and that uh, you just bless the rest of the service. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of my sermon is You Just Never Know. You just never know when someone's watching, when someone's listening. Maybe just not your words, but your actions. Maybe not just what you say, but how you said it. Not what you did, but how you did it. You just never know who's watching, and you never know when you might see them again. It's happened to all of us, and every now and then we wish we had a mulligan or a do-over sometimes. I want to start by, I had one of those moments once, and it's the moment that Randy Morris walked through the church doors for the very first time. And I believe Randy's here today, so Randy's in the back. I remember exactly where we were in the old church, in our well, church two, we had church one for a month, and then we got to church two that had like five renovations, and then this would be church three. But if you came into the church by Pizza Ranch, you had the opportunity to go to Next Level Fitness or to continue on to church. And if you made it through the first door, you could go to Next Level's gym. And if you made it past that, then you could make it into our church. And I was standing in the doorway of the Next Level Fitness gym with my dad. We were just talking. And in comes Randy and Leslie Morris. Have you ever had that moment like, I know that dude. And I'm terrible with names, so I apologize. I know faces. I know kind of who you belong to and who you are, but God just didn't give me the, like, I can remember numbers from 40 years ago, but your name? Yeah, sorry. And so I'm like, I know that guy. I know that guy. And of course, what does he do? Walk right up to us. So what are you supposed to do when someone comes in church? You don't know. You're supposed to greet them, right? I'm Mark. Hi, I'm Randy. I know you from somewhere. Yeah, well... Let's pause this story for a moment, if you don't mind. But I remember exactly where I was and, and, and that moment that we met. See, one of my biggest fears is, well, let's, let me go back for a sec. We live in Waverly, which I love this town. It's big enough that it's not small, and it's small enough that it's not big. But I've lived here my whole life, and I can't go anywhere without seeing someone I know. Nowhere in town can I go and just be like, yep, yeah, don't know anyone here. I can barely go to Roadhouse in Cedar Falls and not know someone, you know, down there. But there's accountability to that. That's a good thing. But there's always people I know. And see, one of my biggest fears is seeing someone walk through the doors of our church, having me make eye contact with them and seeing a really strange look on their face like, huh? See, we have an incredible challenge as a church to stand up for what is right, but also to genuinely love those who are wrong and know that there's room in the kingdom for them. See, we, see, we sometimes need to remember that they too have a purpose in God's kingdom. How do we reach them? You know, a pastor says many times, there's 12,000 people within, 
12,000 people within a 10-mile race of the church, correct? We've all heard it, right? Well, the question is posed to me, how can it still be 12,000? We're growing. Okay, so there's 11,8 or 11,7, or maybe there's more babies born. But there's a lot of people within 10 miles that still need a church home. And here's the deal. It's not 1,000 of them that belong in the church. It's not 3,000. It's not 6,000. It's not 11,000 of them. 12,000 of them belong here or in a church. Sometimes we need to be reminded that this church is not an exclusive membership. This isn't a country club with initiation fees. This is a place for all. And it is not only a place for all, but everyone belongs here. See, if I were going to be honest, I like to people watch. And if you like to people watch too, we all probably do it with the wrong set of eyes. Like, I've never been accused of fashion. Okay? But I know when I people watch who's definitely not good with fashion. Or, boy, look at them. You know what I'm saying? We've all done it. We look at, we look at someone else and we compare through our own eyes. But sometimes we forget that every single person on earth belongs in heaven. He ha- they have a special gift from God. See, here's the deal. I want to desperately please God in all I do, and I want to do my best to make sure that I protect and guard and lend credibility to my witness. I want to please God and draw people to him rather than repel people from God. See, I don't want to be the reason someone doesn't come to this church or someone doesn't want to know Jesus. So this morning, I'm going to talk about three ways that we can do that. But I'm going to skip forward to point four because I want you to know how this ends, okay? This is how we're going to wrap things up. And point four is this. People need an encounter with Jesus. See, nothing else is as powerful as an encounter with Jesus. We have the opportunity to give everyone that experience, but we have to ask. See, we're the bridge to give them that opportunity. Now, we've had a lot of people be able to see us on social media or Facebook or, you know, check the church out and they come because they're seeking a church. And that's awesome that we have those platforms. But there's so many more that need the invite, that need the personal invite. Because here's the deal. Texting, Facebook, it's easy to say no. Face-to-face is a little harder with that personal invite. But how do we do this at the highest level? Well, I've come up with three characteristics that I think every one of us in this room needs to possess. So for this message today, this is Mark's top three Christian characteristics we should all possess. The first one is this, we need to be likable and relatable. So now you're thinking that's already two. No, those are one. Because you can be likable, but not relatable. But if you're gonna be a truly connect with people, you need to be likable and relatable. What is likable? Likable is just pleasant, friendly, and easy to like. We know plenty of likable people. But what is relatable? Relatable is enabling a person to feel that they can relate to something or someone. So to not only be likable, but to be relatable. So we're not talking about popularity contest. I'm talking about truly being someone who cares about others. See, the beauty of the church is this. There's probably no one that can walk through these doors that doesn't have garbage or luggage in their lives. But guess what? There's probably someone in this room that can relate to their current or past struggles. And what's the beauty of a healthy church is that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short. We all have a story to tell. We can relate to those who have not yet experienced the love of Christ because we were there once. 
we've felt and seen the miracle that Christ has done in our lives and can certainly do in theirs. And to add to that, we get to celebrate with them as they go along on that journey. So what likable and relatable is not is judgmental. That's the opposite of that. We cannot be judgmental. Our job is not to judge. Our job is to love. In Matthew chapter 7, it says, do not judge or you too will be judged. It goes on to say, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. Luke chapter 6, not to judge, but to forgive and you will be forgiven. And in Romans, it puts it right in your face, who are you to judge? Just worry about your own troubles. Jesus talks about why you worry about your neighbor's splinter when you have a plank in your eye. When we judge, we also use that system to compare, which means, of course, we're in much better shape than that person, so we feel better about ourselves. Here's the problem with comparison. It's too easy to find someone who's struggling or making bad choices, and then compared to you, you're in good shape. We feel so much better. But if we compare to the person we should do, which is Jesus, guess what? We don't measure up. We fall short. We need a savior. At the end of the day, we all have plenty of problems and challenges. Why don't we just encourage each other instead of trying to tear someone down or compare or judge? Let's just encourage and love. Torrin Wells said it's unbelievable to him that people have the strength or energy to hurl stones while carrying their cross. Let's talk relatable just for a moment. Being relatable empowers the Christian to establish a connection with others that opens the door to share your story, your testimony. Being relatable means that you can admit that you have struggles also. We don't have to pretend that this church is so righteous that there's no way a sinner can walk in here and fit in. Being relatable means we can be honest, humble, and open with each other. When we're relatable, we can embrace our imperfections and let go of perfection, perfectionism. Now, none of this is easy. Some of these things require trust with each other, but this is how we reach those who are currently not on their way to heaven. Do you hear me this morning? We definitely do not want to increase the perception that the church is full of goody goods and there's no room for those beneath us. Because that's what some people think. What's wrong with accepting the fact you're not perfect today? That you have flaws, but you serve a God who loves you despite these things and is still working on you. So what's a great way to be likable and relatable? Simply by loving others where they are. Love God, one another, the rest will fall into place. And that brings us to point two, which is to be authentic and loving. Again, two for one. You have to have them both to truly reach people. What is authentic? Authentic is an easy uh, definition. It's genuine. To be authentic is to be genuine. And to be loving is to feel or show love or great care. We become really good at pointing out each other's failures and faults in the name of love. That's not authentic love. Somebody said something to the effect that we generally think as long as we're not struggling with the big sins, then we're good. In the likable Christian, it says, but for some reason we place emphasis on speaking the truth in love rather than simply loving. Unfortunately, we often use this tactic as an excuse to bully each other, calling out each other's sins as we see fit. The book goes on to say, we've been, we often say love the sinner and hate the sin, but why does hate even need to be in the conversation? See, Jesus didn't shame people into submission. He loved them. His love changed everything. 
So what are some examples of this? I'm, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to share five of them in biblical examples. And in each of these uh, examples, Jesus didn't change who he was in the conversation. But yet he was able to have difficult, confronting conversations that led to life change just by acting in love and in truth. He was authentic and he was loving. So first one, Zacchaeus. We can go back to the Sunday school days. We know Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? That means he was short. He was a chief tax collector, which means he was dishonest. He was, a, he was a dishonest short guy. He heard Jesus was walking through the streets, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree. All right? Jesus stops, looks at Zacchaeus, and says, hey, come on down. I'm going to your house today, right? We're going to have lunch. Now, obviously, the people that are around that area are like, what is this guy doing? Going to a guy like his house. Okay? Jesus did not shame Zacchaeus into anything. He simply went and had lunch with him. By the end of the lunch, Zacchaeus pretty much says, I'll give half my wealth to whoever needs it. I will repay anyone I've cheated four times what I've cheated. He was changed because he had an encounter with Jesus. If we go to the woman at the well, she was a Samaritan. Jesus was a Jew. They weren't tight, all right? They did not get along. This woman had never seen Jesus before, and Jesus just stops the well and starts talking. And they get talking, and she mentions something about her, her, her history, and, and Jesus says, you're right. He says, you, you don't have a husband because you had five of them, and now you just have a boyfriend. And she's like, whoa. And she had heard about the Messiah, and through the thing, he's like, I have the living water. He had this, con- he had this conversation with her. She leaves and goes into the town saying, I've seen the Messiah. That encounter with him changed her life. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, again, not seeing eye to eye with Jesus. They had plenty of run-ins in the New Testament, Jesus and the Pharisees. So Nicodemus shows up to talk to Jesus at night, which is an interesting concept. Past dark, I'll slip in and talk to Jesus when no one can see. Came to Jesus tonight, and he admitted that, man, the evidence is with you. What's up? And Jesus talks to him. Jesus, Nicodemus becomes saved. What's really cool about the story of Nicodemus is we're very familiar with the most popular verse in the Bible, which is John 3.16. Do you know where John 3.16 comes from? Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus. That's how we get when he's talking to Nicodemus. That's where John 3.16 comes in. And what's really cool is John 3.17. That would be the verse right after John 3.16. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. He just flat out told us what we need to do. So then we go to Peter, one of Jesus' disciples that walked with him through the whole thing and saw it all. You know, when we get to heaven someday, who doesn't want to sit around the table with Peter and be like, hey, tell us some stories, okay? But Jesus told Peter he's going to deny him three times. He says, you're going to deny me, and Peter's like, no way. Yeah, it's going to happen. Well, guess what? It happened, just like Jesus said it would. One of his best friends denied him. Jesus comes back, meets with Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That encounter with Jesus changed Peter to say, yes, I still love you. And the last one is the thief on the cross. All right? The thief on the cross, I don't know his story, but he, did, he wasn't a good dude if his, if his last day was hanging on a cross. Okay? He earned a pretty bad ending to his life. And in that last seconds of breath, 
he has an encounter with Jesus and says, hey, can I get in paradise? Doors open, let's go. Jesus takes him in. Encounters with Jesus. But Jesus never in any situation there shamed, judged, through shade. He'd love them. They had an encounter through Jesus. Our job is to be the most loving, authentic people on the planet. Okay? The most loving, authentic people on the planet because love changes everything. See, the likable Christian goes on to ask, what if instead of focusing all our attention in winning political battles or fighting non-essential theological positions, we use our energy to love, really love, the people God has put in our path? Maybe this thing we call faith wouldn't be so complicated. Can we think about that a second? I love my small group. We have an awesome small group. If you're not in one, you need to be in one. Just saying, you need to be in a small group. But we had our small group, we have great discussions. And I'm looking at Wade right now because he's going to. We had a small group once where we started on question one of the sermon series and we got so off tangent immediately. And we got into the book of Revelation and we spent an hour talking about Revelation. And the beauty of our small group is we all grew up in different church paths, different church histories, different theological stuff. And here's the deal with Revelation it ain't my favorite book in the Bible. I'm not going to lie. I'm not the artsy thing. I could, it's just so descriptive and stuff. I have a hard time envisioning it. But I, I do know how it ends. Christ comes back, we're in heaven. So I'm all about the book. But um, there's just some stuff like, and it's okay to not know everything. But what was awesome is for an hour, we were able to talk with people that grew up with different theologies, different thoughts. We were all aiming at the same, we all ended at the same point. Like, hey, we're going to heaven, and it's going to be awesome. But what a time to, like, we didn't have to fight or claw or yell or prove who was right or wrong. We loved and were able to talk and discuss that stuff, and it was a wonderful small night. In fact, one of my favorite ones, we, just, we were just throwing question after question after question, and we were all going like, whoa, you know, this is awesome. To build trust in relationships, we must be willing to share our whole selves with others. That's our strengths and our weaknesses. Now, get this. We talked about fighting battles. Social media isn't a different version of you. It's a megaphone of who you are. So what if we quit fighting battles on social media and just started loving or really loving people? Our last point three is this. We need to be respected. Respected is simply this. It's deeply admired or esteemed. I believe respect is earned, not given. And if you aren't going to do anything if you haven't earned the respect of your peers. If your talk and actions go two separate ways, your impact on others is greatly reduced, maybe even damaged. You could be turning people off to the church. You're tarnishing your witness. So I'm a numbers guy. I love Excel spreadsheets. I love all that stuff. I wanted to make pie charts and graphs and all kinds of stuff for the stuff coming up. I didn't. Okay, I'm going to save you my nerdiness and I'm just going to give you some numbers and give you some facts, but stick with me on this. By the time you leave church today till you come back next Sunday morning, you have 110 hours that you're going to spend awake. I'm giving you eight hours to sleep. Okay, you have 110 hours. What you do in those 110 hours absolutely matters. You will earn or lose respect in those 110 hours. Now, before we get to the numbers, listen to this. According to the internet... Well, these are numbers too, but different numbers. 
66% of Americans aged 23 to 30 have stopped attending church on a regular basis. They said that the church members seem divisive, judgmental, and hypocritical. All right? That's sad stuff. When we dedicate babies, pastor says this. We have the responsibility of shaping how the next generation views Jesus and the people who follow him. We need to do better, all of us. The 110 hours matter. So let's get a positive in there. The vast majority of unchurched people in America are receptive to an invitation to the church. You know what the biggest problem is? We're not asking. That's the problem. The Facebook doesn't work very good, minimal. But the ask works. The ask will work. So here's the stats. I didn't geek out for you today. The average Christian, and I know no one in here is average. We're all above. I I get that. But the average Christian attends church once every six weeks. Okay? So that would say if it was our service, I'm giving you a little time for coffee and donuts and this time. But that would say that the average Christian would spend 10 hours a year in church. All right? So that is a very small percentage. Okay? Before we put these numbers up, I want to ask you something. These guys on the worship team that are incredible did not become incredible putting 10 hours a year into their craft. They came incredible because they worked and worked and worked. Our athletes are incredibly talented and successful here in town and the surrounding areas. You want to know why? Because they're lifting weights every morning. They're doing open gyms at night or open practices, sessions. They're going to camps. They're busting it out during season. They're putting the time in. That's why they're successful. So that average Christian that attends church once every six weeks works out to 0.18% of their awake life in a year is devoted to coming to church, okay? 0.18%, less than two-tenths of 1%. So now if you become a regular Sunday morning attender, and by the way, these are all awesome, but this is the challenge to grow is where I'm getting here, okay? If you become the regular Sunday morning attender where you're coming to church 80% of the time, that's pretty good because we know life happens. There's times where stuff happens. That's okay, but 80% is great. If you're an 80% church attender, you've gone all the way up to 0.89% of your awake year in church. This is giving you eight hours of sleep. Someone came up after first service. It's a great thought. He says, so we're hinging less than 1% of our life on eternity. So now for you overachievers in here. You're here Sunday morning. You're here Wednesday nights. You're in a small group. You're going to the men's and women's events. You have an individual Bible study you maybe meet once a week with. You come to experience night. And I'm going to stop there because I had this in my notes before the announcements came up. If you have not come to experience night, see, I'm not on staff or I'm not on the board anymore. So I can say whatever I want now, okay? (laughs) If you have not come to experience night, you have no excuse for not coming to experience night. Flat out. There's There's no reason on experience night the balcony shouldn't be packed. Because it happens like four times a year. And it allows you to have an experience or an encounter with God. What do you do with your kids? Bring them. Show them. Show them where your priorities are. But the overachiever, okay? 
the overachiever is all the way up to 2.5% of their awake hours in church. Okay? We're talking minuscule, minuscule percentages. We can all do better. We can all do better. How come we tend to negotiate the minimums with God, but then expect such great things in return? If you're only a Sunday morning Christian, this is a buildup. Be better. Do better. Want more. If you're a Sunday night, Wednesday night, do better. Be better. Do more. We need to grow. If you want a better platform of likability, relatability, love, authenticity, respect, then up your game with God and see the results. You'll shine so bright, you won't have to invite people to church because they're going to be asking you what's going on. We get to point four, people need an encounter with Jesus. That's the whole thing. People need an encounter with Jesus. An encounter with Jesus can change everything. How do we please God and protect our witness? We have to personally have an encounter first before we can encourage others to do it. We can't give what we don't have. It starts with us. Do more. Be at experience night. You can't be experience night. If you come to experience night saying, I'm expecting something from you, God, what do you think is going to happen? He's going to show up. You want experience? Go get it. At the end of the day, there's nothing you can do for anyone that is even close to them having an encounter with Jesus. I would go on to say that you're probably not even going to change someone. But the presence of God that is undeniable will absolutely change them. Shane Pruitt said, the goal of the gospel is not to affirm you, celebrate you, and accept you. The goal of the gospel is to rescue you, transform you, and redirect you. Now, this one's deep. I'm just going to tell you. Be ready for this one. He goes on to say, no matter how bad this world gets, I mean, we could talk about that's a sermon itself, right? No matter how bad this world gets, this is as close to hell as you will ever get. Why? Because heaven's your home. We're going up. All right? But for those that don't know Jesus... This is as close to heaven as they will ever get. As I said, I'm not a revelation guy as per in the study version. Not against the book, just not in the study version. But I know Jesus is coming back. It'll be a glorious day. But I also like to ask questions. I'm just like, I like conspiracy theories. Let's talk. Let's have some fun. But when we're flying up, I got the question, are we going to look back and see who's not coming? You know, if we're sitting beside somebody and they don't go, are we going to know that? I don't know. Are we going to be so focused on Jesus, we're just going to go, or are we going to look back and be like, dang it. See, when we're completing the game of life, we're, we kind of got cheat code. We know how this ends, all right? We know in the end, we're going to be all right. As I mentioned before, I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but I coached. For 15 years, I coached basketball at Waverly. And there comes a point in the game if you're behind where it gets desperation, like we better start jacking threes. We're running out of time. Any shot is a good shot. Just get something up. Just go. Because you're desperate to try to do anything to get a win. 
But would I coach different if I knew I was going to win? If someone told, came to me like, hey, you might be down 15 with three minutes left. Don't worry about it. You're going to win. Would I have a different way of coaching that then? See, we're playing the game of life as a Christian, and we know we win. But my question is, are we too satisfied knowing that we're okay and we've lost the desperation? We have to have a little desperation. So I got to finish my story with Randy. And disclaimer, it was was harder than I thought. Come on up, Randy. This is... This is how I met Randy. <laughs> and uh, to leave most details out, I did, re- I did let him know that I have the mic today. He doesn't. <laughs> but we were at a away game. I had known this crew. I didn't know them. I just know of the crew. And we were in a very tight game. And my team had a breakaway layup, and they were chasing and my guy obviously got hammered because he hit the wall, but no whistle. And in basketball, what happens when you're going crazy this way? And it, you go, what happened? it goes crazy back the other way. And sure enough, they had the same thing. Their guy went up for a layup and missed it, and there was a whistle. And that was when you couldn't stand as a coach, which was terrible. Like, I stood, okay? And for a moment, I earned myself a technical. It, we, that's how I knew Randy. I couldn't put a, put, I couldn't figure it out. And, and it took a while, Randy, finally, first, like, you teed me up. Like, no, I didn't. I'm like, yes, you, no. And years have passed. And I remember a while back, he's like, yeah, that probably was my crew. But he said, it wasn't me. So then it means he missed the call. So it's his fault. <laughs> but here's the thing. That's the moment I had when he walked in and when I realized and I put everything together, I'm like, I didn't cuss, I didn't swear, but I was not happy at the moment. And I earned it, okay? So, the beauty of this is, we're friends. That there's redemption, there's my bad, you know, like, it's, it's a fun story. But at the moment, I was like, mm, you dummy, okay? Because normally, if you know me, I was like, seriously, Cool not worked up nothing but like there's a few certain times you fight for your team and I got (laughs) I got caught fighting for my team and we had a moment and so here's the deal we get to share heaven and it's behind us and we moved on and that happens in life and thank you and by the way Randy's awesome so thank you This church every week gives someone the opportunity to respond to the gospel. And this is a moment that we shouldn't take for granted. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when the lost is found. And here's the deal. We've all missed the mark at some point. But the great news is our Savior can wash away our sins and leave them white as snow. Today, some of us may need to repent. Some may need to rededicate their priorities back to God. There might also be others that have to start by just giving their life to God. And I'm going to give 
all of those people in a moment the opportunity to do that. But let me reiterate, we should never take this moment for granted as a church. It's time for heaven to continue to grow. So if you could bow your heads all across the sanctuary, I'm going to ask three questions. If you need to ask Jesus to come to your life for the first time, if you need to bring him back to the front of your life or just restore that relationship, I'm going to count to three. And if that's you, I simply just want you to ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Can we all stand, please? I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I would like everyone to pray it with me. Again, we do this every week, but it's important, guys. It's really important. So for those that raise their hands, let's pray this with them. Let's encourage them. Pray after me, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross. I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I messed up. I ask for your forgiveness come and give me a fresh start be my savior take over every area every aspect help me from this day forward to live for you with all my heart all my soul all my mind and all my strength in Jesus name amen here's the deal God's put this, I've had this sermon on my heart for probably a year. I've just kind of waited for the call. So it's no coincidence that this is the Sunday it happened and you're here. And here's what I'm saying. We all need to step up. We all need to do a little bit better. So we leave every time at the end, we leave time at the end of every service for a song. And we also have our prayer team up on the sides. If you need prayer, come up. If you're not sure you need prayer, come up. They're with, they want to pray with you. They want to help you. They want to encourage you. But please come up. And I just challenge you to sing this song. Think about where your priorities are, where we spend our time. We're all guilty of finding a lot of stuff to fill in the blanks. But we got to have that desire to spend more time with Jesus. Thank you. us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.